We had to start off with a word from our sponsor, though. I, uh, I think every man should get one of those as a wedding gift. Like, uh, and every husband I've showed that video to has said, I've got to have one of those now. I'm, you know, you try to point out, it's like $700. I, money is no object. I've got to have that now. I need it. Well, why is that? It's because men and women are different. And we use the same words, but we're not always speaking the same language. We're in a series of messages we're calling He Said, She Said. And we're looking at the differences between men and women. We're learning how and understanding how those differences and embracing those differences can help married couples complement each other and, and complete each other and have a stronger, more dynamic relationship. You know, a lot of times we make marriage harder than it has to be because we don't embrace the different roles that God has for husbands and wives. God's design for marriage is for the husband and the wife to have specific roles. And, and, and part of the friction, part of what causes friction and tension and resentment in marriage is when we don't li- live out that role or we don't live up to that role. So this week and next, we're going to drill down on one of the most controversial topics in the church, the roles of husbands and wives. And let me say this. Some of you might get mad at me. Okay? Some of you are going to think that I'm old-fashioned, that I'm out of touch, um, you know, that, that I'm not real clear on what reality is out there. Uh, some of you might end up thinking that I don't like women or that I, I don't value them, but I'm telling you, nothing could be further than the truth. I, I love women. My mother was a woman. My, uh, I love them so much I married one. So I, I love women. How to get out of that one. Some of you are going to think I'm too hard on the guys, okay? That's where some of you will come down. But, but here's my deal. I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible is, is true. Now, this is where the people that needed to say amen, if they had been here, they could have just shouted amen. We, you couldn't even, wouldn't even been able to hear. Maybe they all came to the first service. I don't know. But ever, I believe every word of it, of it is true, and I believe what the Bible teaches, and I believe that husbands are called to lead their families and wives are called to support and help their husbands do God's will. I, I don't apologize for that. I believe it's God's design. And a couple of weeks ago, I told you, if you want to, to know where I stand, you want to Google something, I'm a complementarian. You can go and Google it and understand what that means. Here's what I've observed. What some people object to is not what the Bible says, about the role of men and women in marriage. What people are objecting to is how the Bible's teaching has been distorted, how it's been twisted. You see, most of us have not seen a genuine, realistic expression of what the Bible teaches. We've seen the distortion. We've seen the twist. We've seen the abused version that's not really based on what the Bible says. But when we look at God's design, the picture clears up, and it becomes something that's beautiful and holy. See, the the issue of roles is not a matter of who's better or who's superior. Men and women are equal in God's sight because we're both created in the image of God. I remember a couple weeks ago we looked at Genesis 1.27. It tells us that very thing, that God created human beings in His image. Human beings in the image of God He created them, male and female. He created them. 
So if it's not about superiority, and it's not about power, what is it about? Roles in marriage are about accountability and responsibility. And today we're going to talk about the husband's role. If you've got a Bible with you, you want to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a, a message notes folder inside the bulletin that you were given when you came in. The scriptures are there on the back of that so that you can follow along. Here, I think it's as critical as any, um, any place, any other scripture we will ever study, that you look at what God's Word actually has to say. Not just what I say, not just what I say it says, but what God's Word actually says. So let's read in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, Pastor Scott, right there, right off the bat, it says submit to one another. Yeah, and now watch Paul explain that. He's going to explain what it means for wives and what it means for husbands. Watch, verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands... This means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Now, before we get too far into this today, I, I want to say three things. Okay? I want to talk to three distinct groups of people. First of all, single ladies, all the single ladies. Put your hands up, <laughs> up in the club. Uh, you, you need to be taking notes. Because what we're going to describe today is a template of what you need to be looking for. If you settle for anything less, if you settle for anything else, you'll be incredibly frustrated in your marriage. And then wives. Wives, please, please, please do not use what we talked about today as a weapon against your husband. You can nudge him to make sure he's listening. But don't hurt him with this information. And if you decide to do that, leave me out of it. <laughs> don't invoke my name. Don't hurt your husband with this. Instead, help him become the man God wants him to, to be by encouraging him and offering him your help and support. And then, guys, I'm going to push pretty hard today. But I'm not mad at anybody. And I'm not disappointed. I love you guys. And I want every one of us to be who God is calling us to be. And I want you to know this message is being preached to myself before it's ever being preached to you. I, listen, I am by no means perfect. I, I thought I'd, I didn't get that where I thought I would get it. I thought it would come from this back corner. But I knew it was coming. 
I never cease to be amazed by the dumb things I say and do. Never. Sometimes I, I think if I knew what I was doing, I'd go hide somewhere. But listen, God is calling us to a whole nother level. He's calling us to a higher level of following Jesus. Some of us grew up without dads at home. And, and some of us had dads who were there, but weren't really there. You don't have to leave home to abandon the child. You can just let something else be more important. Some of us had no one in our lives who taught us how to be a man. And I'm so sorry if that's your story. It would have made a huge difference in your life if you had had that person. But listen to me. We can't change the past, but there's good news because God says He is the Father to the fatherless. Let God be your Father. He wants to teach us what it means to be a godly man, to be a good husband, to be a man that our wife and our kids can be proud of. So today... I want us to take a look at three calls to leadership that God gives to every married man. Here's the first one. Husbands are called to servant leadership. What is that? Well, hopefully we all know that leadership is not being a dictator. Leadership is not bullying someone or intimidating someone. Bullying or being a leader is not bossing people around. What I say goes. No questions, no discussion, no negotiation. And being a leader is not one person dragging another person who is fighting them tooth and nail every step of the way. Leadership isn't just about telling people what to do and then standing back and doing nothing, watching them do what you're telling them to do. No, let me tell you, real leadership is servant leadership. It's showing people where you want them to go. It's modeling for them the outcome that you want. It's helping them see through your life what their life could be. And nobody did it better than Jesus. The the, the night that he was betrayed, the most incredible thing happened, and not incredible in a good way. His followers began to argue with one another about which one of them was the greatest. Can you imagine having that conversation with Jesus in the room? Which one of us is the greatest? Hey, Jesus is sitting right there. You know, maybe this isn't the time and place to have this discussion because he's pretty much holding the rook card here. But they begin to argue. And Jesus, it's it's interesting that he um, he doesn't berate them. He doesn't beat them down. He does something that is so simple and so basic, it's, it's embarrassing almost. He takes his shirt off and he wraps a towel around his waist and he takes a basin of water and he washes their feet. The one who would hands down win the discussion. Who's the greatest among us? The one who, would, who wins the discussion. Who's the greatest person to ever set foot on planet earth? Took the basin and the towel and washed the dirty, stinking feet of his father. In just a few hours, he would go to the cross, stripped of his clothing, and he'd give his life there for the dirty, stinking sins of you and me. He modeled servant leadership. After he had done it, after he'd washed their feet, 
Here's what he said in John 13, verses 12 through 15. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. That's modeling servant leadership. Not do what I say. Not do what I taught. But do as I have done for you. Here's how we know husbands are called to be servant leaders. Because in verse 25, they're back in Ephesians 5. Paul calls husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And how did Jesus prove his love for the church? He gave his life. Here's the first rule of leadership. And it applies everywhere, not just in marriage. It's true in the church. It's true on your job. It's true at your school. It's true in every arena of leadership. Leadership is not about you. It's not about me. Leadership is not about us having our way. We are leaders so that we can serve those entrusted to our care. That's what God-honoring leadership looks like. So husbands, that means we lead our wives by loving them, not by barking orders. Not by because I said so, or we're doing it this way and that's final. That's not love. Listen, if if you want your wife to submit to you, like the Bible says to submit, then love her like Jesus loves. The reason women have issues with biblical submission is because they don't trust. They don't trust their husbands to do the right thing. They're afraid their husbands will abuse their power of leadership, that, they'll, that he'll bulldoze over her and just be this selfish, self-centered dictator. And the truth is the only anecdote to that fear is for her husband to love her sacrificially. You want to make it easier for your wife to submit to you? then you be submitted to Jesus. The Bible says wives should submit to their husbands, but it also says husbands should be submitted to Christ. Are you? Are you? Here's how she'll know you are. When you put what's best for your family over what you want, That's sacrificial servant leadership. When what's best for your wife and your family comes before your wants and your desires and your needs even, that's sacrificial servant leadership. Can I tell you something else? Your wife does not always have to submit to you. Um, If you ask her to do something ungodly, she doesn't have to submit to you. Let me show you that by looking at, at, at two passages. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, it says, Everyone must submit to the governing authorities. This next sentence, every Christian should be forced to read it every time they post something political on Facebook. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So there you have it. According to these verses, we're called to obey the law of the land. 
They, this was a call for the church, for Christians to obey the hated Roman occupying, conquering government. Then we go to the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. And they brought the apostles, they brought the followers of Jesus before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name, in Jesus' name? He demanded. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. So on the one hand, Romans says, obey, submit to the authorities, and in Acts, the apostles are, are disobeying the Jewish Supreme Court in order to preach the gospel. Now here's the point. Here's where this applies. If we ask our wives to do something that is clearly against the teachings of the Bible, she doesn't have to submit to us. She is free to disregard our authority. Why? Because we've nullified our leadership through disobedience to God's Word. Now let's, let, let's put this in perspective. The only reason our wives are going to submit to us is because of what God's Word says. And if we show, if we just put out there that we want to live contrary to God's Word, she doesn't have to follow us in that. And we have no moral footing to stand on. The servant leader's wife doesn't have a problem submitting because she knows that his heart's desire is to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and do what's best, what's right for his family. We're called to servant leadership. And then secondly, husbands were called to spiritual leadership. That's what Paul's talking about when he reminds us that Jesus' work on behalf of the church was to make her clean and holy and without spot or wrinkle or fault. You see, headship, which is what the Bible calls the husband's leading in the home, Headship only works when the husband recognizes that his role is spiritual in nature. Guys, that means that we're not just there to call the shots and give directions and have people do what we say. We're called to be the priests, the pastors in our homes. We're called to minister to our families. That means husbands are responsible for the spiritual development of our families because God is going to hold us accountable for their faithfulness or the lack of it. The accountability belongs to us. Being a spiritual leader in our home means three things. It means that our family is educated in God's Word. That means, guys, that we are in God's Word, that we're reading it and we're, we're studying it so that we can instruct our family. Not that we can become great scholars or, or theologians, but so that we can answer simple questions about the Bible that our children, our, our wives might come to us with. That means, dads, that we take the lead in getting our family ready for church on Sunday. One of my favorite sights is to see a dad leading his family into church. It's a godly thing. And too often, it's mom who takes the kids to church. And dad, you know, he looks for an excuse to get out of going. Or if he goes, he drags behind. But a godly husband sets the spiritual tone for his family. Sets the example in his home. In the Old Testament, when Joshua had taken over leadership from Moses, 
of the children of Israel. He challenged the men. He challenged, the Bible says he challenged the elders, the leaders, the judges, and the officers of Israel with these words. They're found in Joshua 24 and verse 15. Joshua says, if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Other translations say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, look out there. If you don't want to serve God, look out there and pick something else. But know that it's always going to be second rate, second best. It's going to be something less. As for me and my house, make no mistake, we will serve the Lord. The second thing being a spiritual leader in our homes means is that our family is engaged in God's work. One of the healthiest things a family can do is serve the Lord together. And men, again, we have to set the tone here. As the spiritual leader in our home, we have to show that serving the Lord is a priority. When Paul talks about Christ presenting the church without spot or wrinkle or blemish, he's talking about the work that the priest did, the, the service they provided when they inspected the animals that were going to be offered as a sacrifice to God. Husbands, dads, we have to continually point our families to Jesus. We have to, to use the moments we have to model for them how to serve God with their lives. You know how kids learn to pray? By listening to you. That's how Jesus' disciples, that's how his followers learned to pray. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus didn't, you know, put on a 13-week prayer clinic to teach them how to pray. He said, pray this way, and then he prayed. I remember when Ben was, he could have been more than about three. First time that he prayed the blessing over a meal. My, my eyes filled up with tears. Not because it was a milestone, but because when he prayed, he sounded like me. He used the same words I used, the same inflection. And it was just, on the one hand, it was kind of funny to hear that coming out of a three-year-old kid, but, but it touched my heart as he'd learned that from me. Here's what I've noticed in my years as a pastor. When dad serves, the whole family serves. And that's true because we're the spiritual leaders and the priests of our home and our family is following our lead. So let's make sure we're leading them where God wants us to be. The third thing being a spiritual leader in the home means is that our family is established in God's grace. Again, those words, holy and clean, without a wrinkle, without a blemish. Paul has used those words before in Ephesians back in chapter 1. When he said this in Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ, here it is, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Paul is talking about God choosing us. Choosing us for salvation. So here's the point. Here's what Paul is saying by using those words. Is your family saved? 
Is your family saved? Because dads, it's our responsibility to make sure our family understands the gospel. To, to make sure that they're growing in their understanding in the grace and the love of our God. And this is huge, dads. This is huge, husbands. We are modeling what God is like to our kids. We're the model for that. And do you know what kids from divorced homes and kids who don't know their dads struggle with the most? The belief that God is going to be there for them. They just can't believe it. They, they, they think he doesn't care about him. They feel that way because the person who was supposed to represent God in their lives wasn't there for them. Now, if you're divorced and you're hearing this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? Listen to me. I'm not going to stand here and tell you everything's going to be okay, but I will tell you that the effect of divorce can be minimized in a child's life when a father is committed to being there for them every chance they get without exception. No matter the expense, no matter the distance, no matter the excuse. Our families are looking to us, guys, to model salvation to them, to model who God is. And then there's a third call to leadership that God makes to every married man. Husbands are called to loving leadership. Not husbands loving the fact that they're leaders, but husbands showing leadership that is loving. Paul tells us to love our wives like we love our own bodies. You drop on down to verse 33 there in Ephesians 5, and he says, love your wife as you love yourself. Now here's the reality. No matter how much we proclaim to the contrary, nobody hates themselves. Not really. Maybe you heard about the teenage girl. She's looking in the mirror. She says, oh, I hate myself. And her little brother, little bitty guys, observes this, and he says, why do you hate yourself? She said, because I'm ugly. And her little brother said, well, if you really hated yourself, you'd be glad you were ugly. <laughs> Think about it like this. I'm willing to bet the last time you bought clothes for yourself that you didn't just go and grab a burlap sack and cut some holes in it and pull it over your head. Right? I mean, when you went, you, you, you bought something that was the right size, something that was in a good color for you, something you felt comfortable in, that you felt like you, you know, that you looked good in, something you, you got it like you wanted it. Isn't that right? Well, husbands, God is telling us to love our wives like we would want to be loved. Now, you know, I'd love for somebody to order me the ESPN game day package on DirecTV. But that doesn't mean I'm going to go out and buy it for Vicky because I would love it. That's not how it works. It means that she wouldn't appreciate it as much as I would, to be honest. Listen, here's what it means. It means we love our wives with the passion and the abandon that we love ourselves. That we would give her the care and consideration we would give ourselves. I don't care what you say about yourselves. I know this. You feed yourself. Some of you really feed yourself. You know, kind of like I do. You, you clean yourself when you're dirty. You, you, you lay down and you rest when you're tired. And I know something else about yourself. Again, whatever you say about yourself, I know this. 
because I know this is true for me. Every time I've ever made a mistake, I've forgiven myself and moved on. Every time I've ever not met my own expectations, I said, you know what? Just have to try harder next time. Let's give it a good try. Every time I've messed up and created problems for myself and other people, I have let myself off the hook. Husbands, we're called to give our wives the same care and consideration that we give to ourselves. I don't remember where I first heard it, but it said we, we like to, as a people, our tendency is to, to judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. Love your wife as you love yourself. Listen, I'm convinced of something. I just got to believe that if our wives knew without a doubt that we loved them like Jesus loves that we love them as much as we love ourselves, they would let us lead them. So let me try to bring this thing in for a landing here. Singles, again, let me talk to you specifically, you, you single ladies. Two questions you need to ask yourself before you be ever, ever even begin to think about thinking about if a guy is right, a candidate uh, for marriage. Number one, can he lead me? Number two, can I submit to him? If the answer to either question is no, you need to run. Because if you're not sure that a guy loves Jesus enough to lead you, or he just isn't that wise, you're in for a very frustrating life if you marry him. Ultimately, he has to lead. And if you don't choose widely, wisely, the guy you pick might just lead you off a cliff. Please hear me, singles. Do not settle. You are worthy of having a godly companion in your life. Find a guy who's so on fire for God, he's got smoke coming out of his ears. Find a guy that you can respect as a Christian and whose primary concern is following Jesus and growing in the Lord. And then wives, here's your challenge. Let your husband lead. And In fact, as the one God created to be his, his helper, his Azer, your job is to help him lead well. Sometimes a man can't lead because his wife won't let him or she makes it difficult for him. Is he going to make mistakes? Of course he is. Everybody does. Every leader makes mistakes. But perfection is not the prerequisite for leading. The question is, will you be a help to him? Will you be a support, a correction for him, an influence to him? Will you save him even from himself when he needs it? Your husband's job is to follow Jesus and love you like Christ loved the church. Your job is to let him lead. That doesn't mean you blindly agree to everything he says. It doesn't mean you never question anything. It means that, that you talk, that you challenge each other, that you, you, in, you try to influence him, that you, you, you draw each other closer to God. But in the end, listen, in the end, once the decision is made, your husband is the one whom God is going to hold accountable and responsible for that decision. 
We're going to talk about it more next week, but for now, let me just say this. I know what you're afraid of. If I let him lead, he'll take advantage of me. If I let him lead, he'll abuse me. There are some husbands who do that. They abuse their role. They, they look more like a dictator than they do Jesus. But I know this. A man cannot demand leadership. He can only earn it. But wives, you can give it to him and help him become the man he's supposed to be. That's what a godly wife does. And then finally, guys. The husband we've been talking about is the one we all want to be. This room is full of, of good-willed, good-intentioned people, of men and women who want to fulfill the role that God has for them. But if we really want a godly marriage that lasts a lifetime, we've got to man up. We've got we to grow up. I, I read this week that the average man spends eight hours a week tweaking his fantasy football team. That's an entire work day. That time's got to come from somewhere. Too often it's coming from our wives and our families. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. God has given you and I a tremendous responsibility. Our wives should be loving Jesus more because of us. Too often what I see is wives getting closer to Jesus in spite of their husbands, not because of them. And earlier, you know, we, we recognized that some of us didn't grow up with a dad or didn't grow up with a great example of a dad, and, and we got married. and We had to pick it up somewhere. We had to learn from somewhere, so we picked up on the street what it meant to be a man or from some guys at work or from TV. Can I tell you, there's a much better example. And, and you guys who think following Jesus makes you weak, think following Jesus is for women, let me, let me tell you about Jesus. In John chapter 19, Jesus has, to been, has been beaten to within an inch of his life. He's been spit on. He's gone without sleep as he's been through one crooked trial after another. And then they... They gave him 39 lashes with a whip that had pieces of glass and bone and metal embedded in the leather stri strips designed so that when it hit the skin, it would rip the flesh right off. A lot of men never survived that kind of torture. And of the ones that did, most of them were willing to confess to whatever crime they had been accused of because the pain was so unbearable. But here's what amazed a Roman governor named Pilate when Jesus was brought to him. He was still standing. When they presented him before the crowd, all Pilate could do was point to Jesus and say three words. Behold the man. Behold the man. Look at the man. Look at the example of what it means to be a man. Look at the one who has provided the model. 
of what it means. He was willing to die for you and me, for the church. And the Bible says that Jesus and the church is our model of how husbands and wives relate to each other. I know this, men. I can say this with confidence about every man in here. We would die for our wives if the need arose. We would sacrifice our lives for her if the need arose. But I'm calling you to something different. I'm asking you to model Jesus for her by sacrificing your wants and needs and desires for the sake of what's best for your family. I'm calling you to lead her, lead your family by serving them, by sacrificing for them, by loving them as Jesus loves. I'm calling you to lead like Jesus. But if we want to do that, if we want to lead and love our wives like Jesus, we've got to know Jesus. We have to experience His forgiveness and the salvation that comes only from asking Him, trusting Him to forgive us. The starting place to becoming the man God wants us to be is coming to God and asking Him to be our Father, no matter what our earthly example of a father was like. And then as we experience God's grace, trusting Him to teach us to lead and to love like Jesus. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.